This is the On The Banks Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at OTB underscore SB Nation. Now, here's your host, Lance Glenn. Hello, everyone. I am, of course, your host, Lance Glenn, and this is episode 81 of the On The Banks Podcast. If you don't already, you can follow me on Twitter at Lance underscore G11, and you can follow On The Banks on Twitter as well at OTB underscore SB Nation. If you enjoy what we do with the On The Banks podcast, make sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. You can find us just by searching On The Banks. With the return of Rutgers Sports, make sure to check out OnTheBanks.com for all your Rutgers news, opinions, and information on every game and everything happening during the week. With the return of Rutgers football, we have brought back our Rutgers Football Weekly podcast preview. Last week, Michigan State. This week, Indiana. Joining me on our week two preview is the football beat reporter for our great On The Bank site, Greg Petuto. Also joining me to cover Indiana is Indiana Athletics reporter Zach Osterman of the Indy Star. Rutgers is coming off a 38-27 win on the road in East Lansing against Michigan State. Look, honestly, I don't think we as fans could have asked for more of this team than what they gave us on Saturday. It was really such a it was such a well-rounded victory and one that really got me excited for what is to come this year. The offense, look, they made crucial plays when they needed to, and they converted Spartan turnovers into points. And the defense, look, they forced seven turnovers and really wreaked havoc in the backfield all game long. I think one of the best parts of this victory was that they ended the 21-game losing streak first off and that they won without playing their best. They had three turnovers of their own and committed nine penalties. It wasn't the cleanest performance, but they still came away with the win. Now, as they sit 1-0, the competition rises as Indiana, look, is much better than Michigan State, and then, of course, take on Ohio State the week after. But as we've discussed previously on the podcast, progress in year one of a rebuild isn't necessarily measured by wins. It's really measured by competitiveness. While Indiana is a much more winnable game than Ohio State the week after, Taking on the Hoosiers this Saturday will be another good measuring stick game to see how close they are to the middle of the pack of the conference. If you go out there, be competitive, be in the game, and then let the chips fall where they may. That's all Rutgers fans can really ask for. Winning week one was great, but even more progress is there for the taking, and it's right there for Rutgers at home this Saturday. Time to talk to the reporters. Here's your host, Lance Glenn. He covers Rutgers football for our site on the banks and joins me now to talk about the Scarlet Knights exciting 38-27 win over Michigan State to start the Shiano era part two off with a bang. I am happy to welcome onto the podcast Greg Petuto. Greg, thanks so much for coming on and giving me some time today. No problem, Lance. How are you? Thanks for having me. I'm doing well, Greg. Obviously, I'm doing you know a lot better than I would be had Rutgers ended up not winning that game that past this past Saturday, but they did the first win in the Shiano era 2.0. And I think I'll start with this one. Look, I know the answer I would give, but I'll ask you, you know, could fans have really asked for anything more from this Rutgers squad in what was obviously a short off season with a new staff and a new culture? I mean, what a way to start off year one with coach Shiano back at the helm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, coming into the season, um, I feel like you never really know what to expect, you know, from a Rutgers football team, but especially this year with the new coaching staff, Obviously, everything going on with COVID, 
Um, you know, will there be a season? Will there not? You really don't know what to expect. Um, fans were just hoping for, you know, just a more aggressive team, a team to compete this season under Shiano. I think that's what I was looking for mainly. And I think it's safe to say that we all got much more than that in their opening win over Michigan State. And, and I think, you know, this team and this program, as all programs do, have every right to find excuses because of the short off season, the condensed, you know, uh, a spring camp, no spring camp really for for most Big Ten schools. And I think you saw that not making excuses, but Michigan State, they just didn't look like a prepared team, a team that was ready for this first game. But Rutgers, on the other hand, was. They, they you know, got off to a 14 nothing lead, then it was 14-7, then it was 21-7. They really never got let Michigan State get so close. I know the Spartans had one drive where they could have tied it up, but then Rutgers ended up getting that fourth down stop. But you saw the difference in preparation from Rutgers and Michigan State, and I think that's a real... Yeah, real com- commendable of the staff that even in this offseason filled with adversity, they were able to get this team ready to go on the road in week one and put up the performance that they did. I agree. You know, there's definitely no excuses coming in, um, you know, whether you're Ohio State or whether you're, you know, a team like Rutgers, because everybody was under the same circumstance and everybody was doing things, you know, basically the same way dealing with, with the pandemic. Um, and Michigan State's another team that had a lot of overhaul with, you know, the new head coach, Mel Tucker, new quarterback. Um, They lost a lot uh, um, at their skill positions. So there was a lot of overhaul there as well. But, yeah, when you look at that game, watching it from the opening possession um, that Rutgers had, offensively and defensively, it really was apparent that they looked more prepared. They looked sharper. They looked like um, the more aggressive team, the tougher team coming in. And that's definitely a a testament to Shiano and his coaching staff here in in his first year back and in the first game for sure. So offensively, while Noah Vedral wasn't perfect, he made big throws when he needed to and really showed his dual threat ability, specifically on that touchdown run in the second quarter. How would you assess his performance in game one? And if you could give him a letter grade, what would it be? Yeah, you know, there was a... Shiano didn't name a a starter coming in. There was um, Vedral and Sitkowski on the depth chart as, um, you know, the two deep, but he wouldn't name a starter. We kind of assumed who it would be um, because of the fast-paced offense that Sean Gleason was going to run. You know, Vigil did that at um, his previous school and, like, throughout his career in college. I think he did well. He wasn't perfect. But, again, it's his first game with this team, um, with the coaching staff. So I think he's going to get better. I like the the timeliness of the plays he made, obviously the long touchdown run, um, and just being a leader out there, you know, for the offense. Again, it wasn't perfect, but – being able to come away with a win, um, really, really leading the offense, I would give him, I would give him a B minus um, in this game, and to keep him out of the C range just because they came away with a win, I'll bump him up to a B minus. There's improvements to be made, but I think that you have to like what you saw from from the quarterback in the first game if you're Rutgers fans. And I think you have to like what you saw just from the offense overall. A very well-rounded performance by the offense, I think. Six different players had a catch. The team ran for over 100 yards and, and importantly, won the time of possession. What did you like from the offense overall, and what was your impressions of Sean Gleason from Game 1 and how he might run this offense going forward? I like what I saw from Gleason. Um, you know, we knew they were going to run a fast pace, and that's something that I personally like to see, especially um, in college. I think that's something they're going to need to try and compete in these Big Ten games uh, moving forward against teams like Indiana. But I think the offense is in 
you know, a pretty good spot. We know what Pacheco is. You know, he's a stud. We know Bo Melton is a playmaker. Um, the offensive line performed, you know, better than probably most expected coming into the season because that was another unit that was a question mark. So I like what I saw from the offense. Gleason's going to continue to work and get better. And, again, the new coaching staff, um, new quarterback, these players are going to gel more, and that's going to be a good sign moving forward. This was a big um, a big start to see where they were, a big measuring stick game um, against Michigan State to see where they were. Because every time you go on the road you know, to East Lansing and pick up a win, no matter the state of um, this Michigan State team, it's a big deal. So this was a big measuring stick game. They passed, and now they're going to have another one against Indiana. We're going to really see you know, how they uh, progress week to week. And defensively, you couldn't have asked for a more all-around showing. The defensive line really set themselves up in the backfield all day long. The secondary, of course, forced tons of turnovers. The linebackers, led by Tyshawn Fogg, were really flying all over the field. To me, it was a vintage Shiano defensive performance, similar to what we saw constantly his first go-round here. What impressed you most, and what were your overall thoughts of the play on that side of the ball? Oh, I mean, they got, you couldn't ask for anything more, obviously. The seven turnovers, um, five forced fumbles, I believe it was. Um, Tyshawn Spoggs, he's he's a stud. You know, Avery Young's a stud. There's just, there's a lot of veteran presence on that side of the ball. There's experience. And aside from the rushing attack, I think the defense is the main thing you were looking to improve under Shiano. But I bet a lot of people didn't expect it would come this quickly. But this is... After that performance, it definitely gets you excited um, moving forward. And that's what they have to keep doing, even against the more superior opponents. I think that we should be looking for just a toughness. You know, don't don't come in after a big win and, you know, lay an egg. Go in and continue that toughness, continue the mindset, and really be the aggressor in these football games. I think that's the main thing to look for this year. But after game one, yeah, there was nothing we could have asked for more the defense came on the tone after the opening touchdown they got the fumble back there was there was a lot of plays made at big times in this game that that should get you excited moving forward but look as we talked about earlier it wasn't a perfect game like yes they forced seven turnovers but they had three of their own as well and some at what could have been you know very costly moments they also had nine penalties of course um as well two things i'm sure shiano and staff want to fix moving forward this season what, if anything, do you think needs to change as they head into Indiana? What do they need to do differently and clean up moving forward this season? Um, you hit on it. You know, the turnovers and the penalties were the two things that jumped out because even though they they were plus four in the turnover battle, we all know they're not, you know, you're not going to force seven turnovers every game. So you can't turn it over three times yourself. And the, the nine penalties is just way too much. Michigan State had seven, Rutgers had nine that's going to be way too much, especially once you get into the tougher part of your schedule. So you got to be a little more disciplined. I'm confident that Shiano's going to, he's going to clean that up. You know, he's going to get the team on the right track. Um, so that's not something I would worry about just yet after one game, because again, it's a new unit all playing together for the first time. And I think they need to, they got to run the ball a little better. That's going to be how they're going to kind of really set the tone in these games. You know, Pacheco was able to score twice, but he only he was held 61 yards on the ground. Um, obviously, Vigil's a threat using his legs. So if they can run the ball well moving forward and keep the ball out of the hands of their opponent, give their defense a rest, that's going to really benefit them uh, Benefit them moving forward. So look, Rutgers is now 1-0, and which of course has fans excited. I said prior to the year, 
they needed to get at least one win to end that losing streak, and they did. Most expectations had them at one win, some at two, but with starting off on a positive note, do you think the hopes and beliefs of this season season should now rise from just getting one or two wins to now getting two or three, or should the ceiling still, I guess, remain relatively no, knowing that, look, this is still a rebuild, and it'll still take time for this staff to bring in all their guys and really transform to the culture that they ultimately want to have in this program? Uh, yeah, I definitely think it's going to take time. You know, it took Shiano time in his first go-around, and I think this is going to be the same thing. And it's in a tougher conference than he was during his first time when Rutgers was in the Big East. But this is a win to get excited about, no doubt. But I think that everybody is still realistic. I think that coming into the season, one or two wins was the ceiling. And maybe if you want to bump it up to three, could be the ceiling, you know, depending, uh, you know, an Illinois game or a Maryland game or, you know, something along those lines. But I still think the the ceiling has to say the same. It shouldn't have bumped up. Um, this is a win to be excited about, but I think everybody knows that Rutgers is building for the future. They have a strong recruiting class in um, 2021. Shiano's already started in the class of 2022. He's got two commits from outside of New Jersey. So I think this is a program set up for the future. But if they could win a game or two uh, more, they already got one. You know, why not? It's gonna be it's gonna be exciting to see. Greg, a couple more from me. What does this win in your mind do for the outside perception of this program, being able to end that Big Ten losing streak and really do it quite convincingly against Michigan State on the road nonetheless? I think it does a lot moving forward for this season. Um, Again, going back to what I said last question, it's for the future, but, man, they needed a win in the worst way. You know, the 21-game losing streak, um, so many talks and and, – critics about how they shouldn't have even switched conferences, you know, non-competitive in the Big Ten, this and that. This is a big one to kind of quiet those critics and move on, especially with a team like Michigan State. Beating a team like Michigan State, who's been so good for so long, despite their overhaul, it comes and it really shows what Rutgers, you know, can do despite their overhaul and their change. That's a big win. That's a statement win. Again, on the road in East Lansing, no matter how the Michigan State team is. That's a huge win. So this definitely should quiet down a little on the Rutgers front being 1-0, and um, proving that they could win a Big Ten game. And now if they go on to win another one, two more maybe, and this is a three-win season, something along those lines, the tone will definitely start to change, and that's going to be big going into the 2021 season. And they'll have another opportunity, obviously, this coming Saturday on Halloween against Indiana. So last one for me, obviously two 1-0 and teams, Rutgers and Indiana this Saturday. The Hoosiers coming off what was a crazy win against Penn State um, later in the evening. Two 1-0 and teams coming into SHI Stadium. Who do you have winning the game? Who starts the season 2-0? Um, I like Indiana to win the game. You know, I think that overall, right now, they're the, they're the better football team at all three phases. Um, they're a big favorite on the road this week as they come to New Brunswick. I like Indiana to win, but it's kind of along those lines. I also like Michigan State to win, you know, so it's all it's up in the air. But I thought that Rutgers could compete last week. I'm kind of in the same boat. They can compete in this game against Indiana. Um, I think the number's very high. Um, I believe it's 13, 13 and a half last time I saw. I believe they can compete in this game because Indiana might suffer a little hangover from their um, emotional win last week at Penn State. But 
I think that they'll come out and win this game. Um, and it's going to come down to turnovers again in my mind. He covers records football for our great site on the banks. Greg Petuto. Greg, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast. I look forward to having you on other weeks this year to talk about the Scarlet Knights. Absolutely. Thanks a lot, Lance. He covers Indiana athletics for the Indianapolis Star as the Hoosiers head to Piscataway coming off an upset win against Penn State. I am happy to be joined on our week two preview by Zach Osterman. Zach, appreciate the time. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. So let's start with the win against Penn State, right? What a crazy game. One, of course, that was capped off by a successful two-point conversion by quarterback Michael Penix Jr. How would you describe the craziness that was the end of the game and the two-point conversion that drew a lot of controversy but was ultimately ruled successful to give the Hoosiers the win? Yeah, I mean, it was, you know, in a vacuum, it felt like the most extreme example of, of every college football coaches, you know, sort of preaching that yards matter less than turnover special teams and situational football. Um, Because obviously all those things kind of went in Indiana's favor. But that end was, I think I tweeted at about 7.30 that that, uh, there was on a fourth down play, there was a targeting review. It wasn't targeting, but that kind of held up all of us sort of saying, well, that'll do it. You know, Penn State can run the clock out. And then, of course, uh, Penn State uh, gets suckered into scoring. And, like, here I am, the, the idiot beat writer who says, well, that'll do it. You know, that's the game. <laughs> and, and then, like, this, this just incredibly unlikely sequence of events uh, obviously unfolds. You know, it's – I think a lot of people – have watched enough Big Ten football have probably seen Indiana come up on the short end of that that game, you know, at least once or twice, obviously, Indiana fans have. I think that the, you know, the, the big thing for Indiana is, you know, from a neutral's perspective, that sort of moment, you know, I think a lot of people just feel like, oh, when are they ever going to finally do it? I think from IU's perspective, you know, I think IU would be justified in feeling like, that's not necessarily a fluke that they've been building toward that sort of game. And we'll also find out what, you know, what Penn state is this year. Um, you know, Penn state is, um, you know, Penn state is, is not <laughs> maybe quite as vintage as, as in some seasons with journey Brown out with Michael Parsons out, but, um, nevertheless, you know, I think from Indiana's perspective, they feel like they've been building toward that moment. However, crazy, the actual result was with the, the frantic end and then obviously the overtime and, you know, did Michael Penix make the pylon before he was down? You know, that, that felt very much like sort of a call on the field situation um, that you just had to go with, with what they said live. And obviously it doesn't very often, but that benefited Indiana. Looking at the game, it's, and when you're just looking at the overall stats, when you check the box score at the end, it's kind of crazy that the Hoosiers were in it, right? Penn State had 488 total yards to Indiana's 211. Penn State had the ball for over 40 minutes. Indiana didn't hit 20 minutes of possession. How did the Hoosiers manage to keep it so close and even go into the fourth quarter in Bloomington with the lead? Yeah, I mean, again, you know, kind of uh, coming back to it, when you talk about the the factors that I think coaches tend to highlight when they kind of go off on their, their cliche-ridden screeds, <laughs> just talking generally about football, um, you know, Indiana t- 
to Indiana took the ball away from Penn State three times, scored, I think, 10 points off two of those. One of them amounted to nothing. Penn State didn't score a single point off Indiana's turnovers, unless I'm remembering incorrectly. Penn State missed two field goals. Penn State also, one of Penn State's, one of Sean Clifford's interceptions was preceded by a fumbled kickoff that left in Penn State backed up in its own end zone. And I think Clifford was actually standing in the end zone when he threw the pass that got picked off. So, you know, the, the yards are one thing. Obviously, total plays, total snaps, as you said, time of possession. But if you're kind of talking about those, again, those cliche sort of winning plays, all the way up to and including Devin Ford going into the end zone when really he should just get the first down and take a knee, um, it, it, Indiana was the team that made all those. And, you know, the, 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 the offensive performance was probably pretty adequately reflected in, in the final stats. Obviously, Michael Penix came alive late. You know, I think he was 11 of 27 before that last drive in the, the fourth quarter, and he finished the game 8 of 9 with 91 yards. Uh, obviously, the, the two touchdowns, one on the ground, and then both two-point conversions. Um, you know, the, the, the Penn State numbers probably weren't completely fair on Indiana's defense. I mean, Indiana, I think he didn't say it, but I, I – he really got the sense. He didn't say it flat out, but I really got the sense one of the reasons Tom Allen went for two on that overtime possession was because he knew just how worn out his defense was. And you could kind of see in rewatching the game, you know, midway through the third quarter into the, the fourth quarter, the third quarter where Penn State, I think, has the ball for almost 12 minutes into the fourth quarter. You can just see Indiana just playing on tired legs, if legs at all. Um, and that's kind of where Penn State started to, to roll up some of that yardage. Um, but ultimately, you know, what did it for Indiana is uh, what coaches talk about all the time, which is you can do all the points you want, and, or not, excuse me, not all the points you want, but you can do all the yards you want and, you know, yards per play and you can have balance and whatever else, but it comes down to the team that, that capitalizes on the, the kind of the big plays and the big moments and obviously Indiana did that. So let's talk about Michael Penix Jr. 1936, 170 yards, a touchdown, a pick. We saw, obviously, he could get out of the pocket, create on his own, use his legs, just as he did on that two-point conversion. How would you describe him as a quarterback? What are his strengths to his game and, you know, some weaknesses uh, that defenses can exploit? Well, I think, you know, the, the, the biggest strength is to, to, to torture one of the, the most popular football cliches is his arm talent. You know, if, if you watch him, he can make most throws. Um, and as poor as he was for long stretches Saturday, there were also some throws he made, some windows that he fit the ball into, you know, far hash sideline routes with a corner sitting underneath. Uh, the, the last touchdown pass he throws to Watt Fillier is probably the best pass of the night by anybody. Um, he's also bulked up more this year, which is a big issue. You know, he, he was plagued by a lot of sort of niggling injuries last year, eventually ended his season. I think, you know, he's, he's, he's probably more physically sort of, strengthen to just the rigors of, of having to play quarterback in the Big Ten. Um, you know, he was – Penn State did well against him defensively. I think that's that's part of it. And, you know, Indiana's offensive line had a bit of an up-and-down game. They had some really good moments, had some, some pretty bad moments. I think Penn State got Michael Penix uncomfortable early and and never really let him find that comfort until, of course, the, the, the very end of the game. I also think that – some of that was a reflection of, you know, every program lost something when they lost, you know, some, some key element of preparation or development when the pandemic knocked everybody down. 
And for Indiana, I think a lot of that was the, the, the sort of chemistry between Michael Penix and Nick Sheridan, Indiana's offensive coordinator, who's been on staff at IU the last three years. This is his first year as OC. And both of these guys, Penix and Sheridan, have a lot of time on task within this program. But this is Penix's first start as sort of the unquestioned number one, no quarterback battle, nobody behind him. He's, he's clearly QB1 after a really frustrating season where he's really good when he's healthy, but he can't stay healthy. And then Nick Sheridan obviously has been around. He was, you know, he's Penix's quarterback's coach for a year. He was key. He was central to Indiana landing Penix out of Florida. But they didn't get a spring, they didn't get spring practice. They didn't get a spring game. You know, they got kind of a truncated preseason. And there's just a lot I think they lost in terms of being able to sort through, okay, you like this, but I like this. How do we meet in the middle? How do we get our comfort level up in these situations and whatever else? And I think you saw some of that too. I think that there were times where it felt a little bit kind of just watching the game and even watching it back where Sheridan was kind of struggling to find a sequence of throws or a sequence of plays, especially with Indiana not able to run the football against a pretty good Penn State front that could just get Penix comfortable and could just sort of let him, you know, okay, you've you completed three straight passes and we got a couple first downs. Now we, you know, now let's go forward. And I think that that's a lot of what was lost in the offseason that, you know, hey, if you look, if you watch it back, there's a lot of correctable mistakes in what Penix does, what his receivers do in that passing game. Um, but you don't get a non-conference, you don't have any bye weeks, how quickly can you get those those mistakes kind of ironed out? That's a question that Indiana's going to have to answer. And look, Rutgers fans, they know about Steve, we know about Stevie Scott. He was once obviously a Rutgers commit. Uh, Penix Jr. also spread it around to Wap Fillier, Miles Marshall. Are those three playmakers the ones Rutgers fans need to, I guess, worry about most this weekend? And what are some other options for Indiana that Rutgers fans should keep an eye on Saturday? So, I, I mean, you're, you're right to mention Stevie Scott as the feature back. Indiana's got another one who's very good behind him, Samson James. You know, how much Indiana kind of goes to two back sets, I think it's going to come down to how well Indiana's. I mean, if, if Indiana's getting six yards of carry on Saturday, you know, they'll happily throw Samson James out there for a few snaps as well. But we only saw James for a couple snaps Saturday. But, you know, then you look at it and you only got Stevie Scott 20 rush attempts, which is, you know, pretty much on the maybe the low side of average for him. Um, you mentioned Wild Fillier, obviously Peyton Hendershot, who uh, set a record last season for single-season receiving yards in IU history by a tight end. Um, we don't know the status of Miles Marshall. He had to come out of the game after a targeting call. He kind of got whacked in the side of the head. Looked like he may have been put into concussion protocol, something like that. You know, the, the other guy that Penix really tried to get involved in the game that never quite did, but he's probably Indiana's best boundary receiver is Tyrese Freifogel. Um, he's, he is a, um, he's a senior, he's a big, uh, a, like a, a bigger receiver, kind of a six, two, six, three, the, the sort of classic kind of sideline boundary guy. You want to get into those one-on-one situations. He had a couple really good catches. Um, I think he wound up with, with two catches, both of them kind of along the sideline. Um, he's very much one of those players that's really good at the timing route, the back shoulder throw you know, the fade route, things like that. And Penix really tried to get him involved. I think he targeted him six or seven times. And there were a couple of times Freifogel dropped the ball. There was, you know, one time where, where Penix kind of misjudged the route and threw an interception. A couple of times he, he overthrew him. Those are, you know, I think if, if you're looking for kind of correctables, that that link up is, is maybe the, 
the one that Indiana could could stand to, to grow the most. Um, because, you know, as you mentioned, somebody like Wap Fillier, 1,000-yard receiver last year, you know, everybody knows about him. But I think Ty Freifogel is a player that could be very good as a senior for Indiana. And so there actually are, you know, a, a fair number of, of weapons and even a couple promising freshmen or, or young players that haven't seen a lot of action yet in that receiving game, in that passing game. Um, but this was kind of the one other big question coming into this season you know, Indiana, obviously Michael Penix was very good, again, when he was healthy last year, but he did miss a lot of the year, and then he loses uh, significant chunks of the offseason when you imagine he would be running seven-on-seven drills, passing work, you know, route timing, things like that. So getting that chemistry with a guy like Freifogel, whose biggest games last season actually were with Peyton Ramsey behind center, came with Peyton Ramsey behind center, not Michael Penix, that's going to be important. And look, defensively, you had said it before, they were kind of, at least towards the end of that game, running on tired legs. What should Rutgers fans look forward to seeing with this Indiana defense? Who are some names that Rutgers fans should keep an eye on that could, you know, potentially cause havoc uh, for the Scarlet Knight offense? Yeah, I mean, you know, to to be honest, um, I actually think as somebody who's seen a lot of bad defense covering Indiana, um, this is one of the better ones Indiana's gotten, and as I said, the numbers from Saturday really don't reflect that just because it was it was asked to do so much uh, that at some point guys just started to run out of energy. The thing about this defense is it's it's I don't know if it's going to turn out to be spectacular anywhere, uh, but it's solid everywhere. You know, it's experienced at every level. You've got third, fourth, and fifth-year players at every level of the defense. Um, you know, you've got guys that played a lot when they were young, which means they're they're more experienced maybe than the average for their age. You've got really good depth along your your defensive line, which is important because there's not necessarily one or two, you know, absolute stars there. But you've got really really sound tackle play, which gave Penn State some real issues. You know, Sean Clifford hurt Penn, uh, hurt Indiana uh, with his legs again, just as he did last season. But Penn State backs average less than four yards of carry. And I think the longest rush of the game by a Penn State running back was 14 yards. So both Indiana was able to really kind of hold its own at the line of scrimmage and also the tackling at the back end. I think four of Indiana, Indiana's five leading tacklers in the game were linebackers and safeties. The tackling at the back end when guys were coming up to make run fits was very, very sound and very good. Um, good corners, Taiwan Mullen, Reese Taylor, Jalen Williams, all very, very good corners. Guys that they are comfortable putting, you know, um, you know, putting, putting kind of in any situation, zone, man, one on one, inside, outside, whatever. A really experienced safety group, and I'm not trying to make them, you know, out to be the '85 Bears. Uh, there are some deficiencies there, but it's just that you can't. I got this question a lot, you know, sort of pre Penn State week. Where can Penn State hurt Indiana? Well, there's not one bad area of that defense. It's just a question of can you out-execute them. If you can, I don't know that you've got, that Indiana's got, you know, one or two of those guys that are just all-American level, irrepressible, you know, uncontrollable stars. Um, even going back a couple of years within Indiana's own program to a guy like T. Gray Scales. But whatever the level, you know, one step, maybe two steps below T. Gray Scales is Indiana's got that at pretty much every position on its defense and so it's it's very much sort of like one of those if you're going to beat them you're just going to have to beat them straight up because they're not going to make a lot of mistakes and they're not going to come out you know and, and sort of play weak or play timid or 
you know anything like that they're too experienced for that they're just they're a solid unit are they are they ever going to be a great unit i don't know but they're a perfectly good one certainly Zach, a, a couple more from me. Look, Indiana, off of that win against Penn State, moved into the top 25 and is now 17th in the AP poll. It's highest ranking since 1993. Do you worry about or do you think Tom Allen worries about now such high expectations as Indiana is now in a spot and these players are in a spot that they haven't really been in before? I mean, I think that's a fair question, you know, and, and it's worth saying the success didn't come out of nowhere for Indiana. You know, they won eight games last season, obviously, They've been to bowl games in three of the last five seasons. Um, it, you know they're they're not setting the world on fire, but they have been. There's been noticeable improvement in Bloomington, and, and one of those improvements, I think, and, and this was borne out, I think, last season, was the ability to just sort of handle success. You know, I I, I think back to last year when Indiana beat Nebraska in Lincoln to to get bowl eligible in October for the first time in like twenty some some odd years. And I know people, not necessarily maybe within the program, but certainly around the program, within the department, were worried the next Saturday night they're hosting kind of a wounded Northwestern team. It was really cold that night. Indiana knew it wasn't going to have a good crowd. And, you know, if everyone sort of looked around and thought, well, here is the perfect, you know, sort of uh, spot for a, an upset. Here's the perfect sort of spot for Indiana to maybe get a little bit too big-headed and, and stumble. And they just smothered Northwestern. They won 30-3. to So... Um, at the same time, I also would say that I think one of the maybe the best result for IU outside of Bloomington over the weekend was Rutgers, because if if what Rutgers did in East Lansing doesn't get your attention right away and doesn't bring you back down off the high of beating Penn State right away, then then you've got some more fundamentals, you know, sort of character issues within your team. Um, I'm not saying that Indiana is just going to come out and wipe the floor with Rutgers. I don't think that's going to happen at all. I, I think this has been a, a tough game since the schedule was re-released, uh, at least in my own mind, looking at you know having to be the opponent that, that plays at Rutgers for Greg Schiano's first game back home. I know there won't be fans, so maybe it's a little bit different. But um, nevertheless, you know, I, I think – you know, the Michigan State result probably did Indiana's coaches a favor in terms of being able to look at these players and say, you know, I don't think there's actually anybody on Indiana's roster who has lost to Rutgers, unless I'm mistaken. Um, but nevertheless, if you're not able to kind of lock back in after seeing Rutgers force, what, seven turnovers in East Lansing on Saturday, then you're going to be in trouble when you show up in New Jersey next weekend. Zach, last one for me. Two one and O teams face off in Piscataway, Rutgers, and Indiana, both coming off big wins for each of the individual programs. Which team do you think ends the game two and O and comes out with a win? You know, admitting that I don't know a lot about Rutgers, and I know that that they took a, a fair number of transfers, a lot of guys who are eligible right away. I think I think Noah Vedral, for example, Noah Vedral's at Rutgers, right? I'm not losing. Yes, correct. Mind. Yeah, he's the starting yeah. quarterback. Yep. Uh, you know, I think he's a fantastic player. Indiana had real trouble with him against Nebraska last season. He hurt him with his feet over and over again. I do think, you know, just again, I've never felt less equipped to predict games, and it's not like I was before. But with no non-conference, no preseason, everything's so chopped up, it's it's hard to know. Based on what I know, I, I do think Indiana is the better team. Um, I think Indiana really needs to get some stuff cleaned up on offense quickly after last weekend. Having watched the Penn State game back, I, th- I think it's 
I think it's reasonable to think that they can clean that up fairly quickly. If they do that, I think they can win the game. If they don't, I don't think they can win the game. And I know that sounds really simplistic. I apologize. Simplistic is about <laughs> the best I can do given just how how sideways everything is right now. Um, if but if Indiana can get the Michael Penix who completed, you know, 68% of his passes last year and threw 20 completions in a row at Michigan State and on and on, then I think they can certainly win the game Saturday. But if it's if it's an offensive performance like last weekend, um, given, you know, Rutgers' strength, Rutgers' confidence, um, I think it would be very difficult for Indiana in that, in that setting. He covers Indiana for the Indy Star. You can follow him on Twitter at Zach Osterman. Zach? Thanks so much for coming on. Appreciate the time. And, of course, stay well during everything that's that's going on throughout the country. Absolutely. You too. And thank you so much for having me. I want to thank Greg and Zach for coming on the podcast to discuss Rutgers and Indiana. Two teams starting off the season 1-0 in a game that suddenly looks more compelling than it did, say, last Friday. But this is another game for Rutgers, as I mentioned in the Open, that they can use to compare themselves to teams that aren't part of the quote-unquote, traditional Big Ten Blue Blood category. Now, look, Indiana is better than Michigan State, but this will give Greg Schiano a chance to really gauge how good this team is. I think as a fan, personally, I just mainly want to see a competitive game into the fourth quarter. You know, I remember last season, after the opening week win against UMass, Rutgers had another one of those measuring stick games against Iowa, and they got shut out losing 30 to nothing. Of course, this staff and this team is a lot different than last year's group, and I definitely do not foresee a 30 to nothing loss like last year. Will a win go a long way in this rebuild? Of course. You know, imagine this team starting off 2-0 and then having a date in prime time with Ohio State the week after. But I think even if a win doesn't happen, a competitive showing will go far as well. The last thing you want is to lay an egg, and I don't think this team will. I don't think the coaches will let them do that. Whatever the final score is, I think we all know Greg Schiano will have this team prepared, will have this team ready, and he and the staff will put the players in the best position possible to be as successful as they can be here on the Banks. Follow On the Banks on Twitter at OTB underscore SB Nation and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. Just search On the Banks Podcast.